You know, what do you say to the families who simply can't afford this stuff in the first place? If you are moderate income, today you can get 30% off the price of solar panels. Those solar panels can be financed. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. I'm Michael Duncan. Holmes isn't with us. Uh, today, but I still got Smug here in Ashbrook, and we're going to have a great show. It's going to be awesome, and I love that opening. You got Jen Granholm, the energy secretary, at a time when Americans are struggling. Yeah. Everyone sees this, right? Inflation's <laughs> up. Everything's more expensive. She's like, well, how about buying a solar panel? Yeah. You can finance it. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> holy shit. She sounded can like I a, see her stock portfolio? She, <laughs> she, she sounded like a pitch woman. Seriously. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> put your money down today. You get 30% off. Yeah. It's like, how much equity do you have in, like, Chinese solar panel companies? Yeah, I want right. to see. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we got a great show for you today. Our guest, Jennifer Ruth Green, I did that interview. Uh, she's a Hoosier uh, running in Indiana's first congressional district. This one hasn't typically been um, gettable on the map, but with redistricting now, that, that first district, I think it's like a it's like a uh, D plus three district. We Doable. are hoping to have a really great election, and she's running a great campaign. She's got a great story. I can't wait for you guys to hear that one. Uh, also, uh, today's sponsor is the International Franchise Association. Um, there is just a horrible bill uh, that the California legislature is considering. We'll talk more about that later in today's episode. Also, I want to thank Megan Kelly. Yep. We went on the show last week. Great episode. As always, so much fun to be with Megan. Excellent show. And uh, you know what we should do? Go right into some five stars. Let's get some five star reviews. Yes, yes. I'm so glad we're doing these again. Um, Ashbrook, you want to take this first one? Sure. This is from Liza182, titled Enjoyable. I really like this show. Heard these guys first on Megan Kelly's podcast and liked their voices and thoughts. Nice. Thoughts? I wonder. She's, she did not spell it T-H-O-T-S. This is not. <laughs> so, <tell> for Duncan. <laughs> Tuned into their own podcast and realized it's very smart, funny, and real. Yeah, awesome. That's Thanks Liza. So much. Yeah, thank you, Liza. It's still shocking to me just like how many people hear about us, hear about us on these Megyn Kelly, uh, you know, episodes. It's really, it's great. Yeah, no, it's Megan awesome. is the best. Uh, this next one's from Savannah Triple Seven. Thanks, fellas. Interview with Senator Tim Scott, absolutely amazing. Would have paid to hear every minute. Yeah, I mean he's he's great. Yeah, the guy's got a great story. He's inspiring. You love to see it. Uh, and this last one, Smug, you got this one? So I believe this is from Slyn, S-L-Y-N-H, or is it Sly, Sly New Hampshire? New maybe? Hampshire, maybe? Sly New Hampshire. Yeah. Fangirl it says, I'm sure the ruthless guys don't need or want a middle-aged mom groupie. Yeah, we'll if, take whatever if, we can get. But if they do, I'm their girl. <laughs> I laugh every week while I'm getting smarter and more informed. At least I feel like I am. You absolutely are. I tell all my friends to listen. Isn't that what a good groupie does? <laughs> Highly recommend them to anyone who loves politics or cares about the direction our country is going. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a great, great one. All right. So we got to get started today mm-hmm. with the economy. Uh, it's obviously on the top of minds of every voter. Um, food inflation, skyrocketing grocery prices make it cheaper to eat out than dine in. This is from the New York Post, a wonderful publication as always. Uh, inflation has driven up supermarket 
bills so much that in some cases it's more economical to dine in a restaurant than it is to shop and cook. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, personally, I have noticed that. I, I've, I've increased the amount of food that I order because it's just way cheaper. It's way cheaper. The, the cost of groceries has gone up a ridiculous amount. The, 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 like chicken breast, vegetables, I'm talking the staples. Basic things are incredibly expensive. Uh, it says here from the article, grocery prices increased 13.1% in the last year, whereas food away from home prices increased substantially less than that, about 7.6%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who this really impacts is working families. Yep. You know who they've got three kids at home. And, you know, it's not always easy to get a sitter, Mm-mm. right? Like, that's going to set you back. You can't always take the kids out to eat, mm-hmm. you know? And, I mean, cooking ain't easy either. So if prices for groceries are going up 13.1%, working families are going to be in the hole. And that's the thing is it's like on all fronts. Like, uh, the, the American family is feeling stress from uh, getting overworked. Uh, they're getting stressed from, you know, the situation that's happening with schools right now where, like, California schools, I guess, are proposing, going back to masking. And they're like, well, if, you, if your kid doesn't want to mask, stay home. So, like, parents have a lot on their plate to begin with. Everything is getting more expensive. And then uh, the White House has been pushing this story, saying that uh, uh, gas prices starting to come down is a uh, $100 a month raise. <laughs> you know, I saw this. No, I, you know what? It, it, it's bad enough that the White House is saying that so shamelessly. But I saw a CNN tweet where mm-hmm. they were claiming that with a straight face as well. And that's the thing. is, is, is So uh, this is from the Washington Examiner. It says, White House staffers sent an email to reporters Friday afternoon with a subject line, in case you missed it, America just got a $100 a month raise including a link to a CNN story bearing that headline. Dude, just shameless just, coordination with the press. Yeah, exactly. It says, next time you stop at a gas station, think of it as a $100 a month tax cut. Yeah, I'm sure everyone thinks of it like that <laughs> when you go to the gas station. So I, there was a tweet from uh, Peter Hassan that says, uh, a couple of things that you know this Biden administration leaves out. Number one, the national average is $3.86 per gas buddy. Uh, number two, the national average the week Biden took office was $2.39. <laughs> That's not a raise. Yeah. That's not a raise. It's incredible. Incredible. But Granholm says you can get uh, 30% off your solar panels. Yeah, so if exactly. you can figure out how to feed those to your kids and put them in your car, you'll be okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, so, so like we said, that it's, uh, you know, costs are going up on all fronts. Now you're seeing U.S. natural gas prices just hit a 14-year high. This is right before winter. Yeah, as you like to say, smug, uh, summer's dead and gone. Summer's dead and gone. Winter is coming. And uh, this is another thing I wanted to hit on. Uh, folks might remember, it was originally called the Inflation Reduction Act, which it does nothing for inflation. Right. And then once it passed, all the journalists were like, oh, it's the green bill. You know, it's the energy <laughs> bill. And, and, and mask, mask comes off. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Biden's uh, bill made uh, $7,500 electric vehicle tax credits. Ford and GM just raised their prices by the same amount. Yikes. Who would have thought? So it says, citing uh, significant material cost increases and other factors, Ford's announcement revealed price hikes between $6,000 and $8,500 for its electric vehicles. The F-150 Lightning Pro, for example, will sell for $46,974, a $7,000 increase from the $39,947 charged before. GM likewise increased the cost of its electric Hummer by $6,250, and the price hikes are comparable exactly to the $7,500 tax credit for new electric vehicles included in the $740 billion 
Inflation Reduction Act. I that can't be true because I was promised this was the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, I mean, who'd have thought that you know if the government spends a lot more money, shouldn't that uh, help inflation? <laughs> so, on the subject of this bill, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, I want to go back to your point about natural gas prices hitting a 14-year high just mm-hmm. in time for winter. Yep. Did you know that this bill also raised taxes on natural gas? I saw that. And so. What do you think is going to happen yeah. to the the tax increase on these natural gas companies? Do you think they're going to pass it on to their customers? I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, uh, th- this this government, this administration that we have right now has zero idea, zero whatsoever what it's like to actually run a business, to actually have to make a payroll, uh, know what it's like to do that work. Because this country is powered by those small businesses, and those are the ones that are getting crushed with these increasing costs. Nothing's being done to help them. The only companies that are basically being helped are like, you know, Jen Granholm's stock portfolio. Like those are the companies that are doing great. Other than that, American companies are suffering. You're seeing so many reports of, uh, uh, we, we'll probably talk about this more on Thursday, of, of uh, this polling that's coming out among the small business owners of how pessimistic they've become and how over half the businesses in America are beginning to prepare for layoffs. And at a time like this, for them to try and, and put in as many taxes as possible and raise costs for people and then masquerade as if that's an Inflation Reduction Act, it's it's beyond an insult. It's it's just cruel. Yeah, it's the, just cruel. The idea that you should not raise taxes in a recession is more than just a talking point. Exactly. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds like something that people repeat over and over again, but there is an actual impact to raising taxes mm-hmm. on people who are producing things in the middle of a recession. It crushes them, and we're all going to find out what the consequences of that are in the next coming months. Which is just a perfect segue to our sponsor for the day, International Franchise Association. Uh, You think inflation is bad enough? Well, California lawmakers are pushing for an effort to raise food prices for Californians by 20%. Jesus. The Fast Recovery Act. They always name these things the most bullshit. They try. They really try. It's unbelievable. Uh, It's also known as AB257 is the latest idea by California lawmakers backed by big labor to cripple small business owners and raise prices for consumers at the worst time. The bill has these main components. First, it'll establish an unelected board of political appointees to control labor law and set wages for the whole sector. Incredible. Yeah. We don't have enough unelected bureaucrats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, second, it will make franchisers jointly liable for labor violations in a franchised business, which are owned and operated by individual business owners. Essentially, like all these, you know, you, you go to your like your local yep. fast food restaurant, like that's owned by a franchisor. I right? know my local Chick-fil-A owner. Dude, I, I do him. too. Yes. AJ Clemens at, at, at Seven Corners uh, Chick-fil-A. Those, those, are, those people are on the front lines creating jobs. Dude, shout out to you. That guy runs the best Chick-fil-A yes. I've ever been to. I absolutely love it. There's always these kids from like the, the local like, you know, little like soccer teams mm-hmm. that are in there and everything. The guy does a hell of a business. Yep. Anyway, uh, so now he's going to basically become a, a middle manager to the corporate That's brand. That's what these people want. Right, right, right. It's ridiculous. And then, you know, finally, they're going to take all the power of these small business owners and put it in the hands of these unelected bureaucrats who've been given authority, right, to set wages and the standards for how they run their business. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, you're going to make them a middle manager to the corporate and, board. And here's the thing, like, on the on, right when we're finding out the news of, like, Fauci announcing he's finally going to, thank God, leave the government, <laughs> they're like, you know what we need? More unelected <laughs> bureaucrats with a lot of power. 
Right. Yes. That's uh, that'll be so helpful. Fauci um, himself called that the Fauci effect. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone just inspires to be unelected, an unelected tyrant. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, really, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't want a tyrant like that guy. <laughs> all of this is really just like backdoor socialism that the left wants. Is like, okay, yeah. the Green New Deal. All this is masks off to like, we just want a let's call it a little Politburo <laughs> of bureaucrats that run the country, comrade. What could go wrong? Um, so here's the thing is, so what this means is that all the costs that are associated with the FAST Act are huge. This is this is from a study done by UC, Ris- uh, UC Riverside School of Business. It shows the costs at these restaurants, almost 35,000 of them, will go up by 20%. Jeez. Okay? And some re- companies estimate it could be as high as 40%. And this is, this is, this is what like really got my jaw to drop is these figures. It says... That's uh, an eleven dollar. This is in California. Eleven dollar Big Mac combo would now be fifteen bucks. <laughs> a nine dollar Chick Fil A sandwich meal would be twelve bucks. A crunchy taco meal from Taco Bell would go from seven fifty to ten fifty. Jeez. I remember when you could go to Taco Bell and like feast like a king for under five bucks. Dude, I, just the classic crunchy taco meal with the supreme, where you get the sour cream and the yeah. and the tomato on there. That was my go-to, and 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 and, and then like it used to be like Taco Bell is like the cheap meal, and right. now it's like ten bucks, ten bucks. Okay, and the thing is that like uh, you know, of course they're not as cheap as they used to be, but imagine what they're like for family four. I mean, you gents, hundred percent know what that's like. Is like if it's ten bucks ahead at what's supposed to be the cheapest meal, like Taco Bell is supposed to be the quickest, cheapest meal you can basically get. Well, and it's a good meal. I love my Taco Bell. And it's not like California has a welcoming business climate in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Like California is already one of the most expensive states in the country and one of the worst to do business in. And these lawmakers are basically going to have this new food tax on constituents to meet the demands of big labor. Um, they did some polling on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, less than a third, 32% of California voters support AB 257. <laughs> and yet they're pushing for it anyway. And it's no wonder. We've, you've seen all the studies. You've seen U-Haul. A lot of, right. a lot of people have mm-hmm. talked about how everybody is leaving California, including nearly 300 businesses have moved their headquarters out of California just in the past few years. Good God. There was one Burger King franchise, fellas, who had restaurants in the state for 30 years and said that it would be difficult to imagine keeping Burger King afloat should the legislation pass, and they would consider abandoning a state completely if it does. Jeez. They, this, is, this is a quote from the, from, from the person who works there. We don't have any options because we're not able to pay our bills, she said. Another franchise who has restaurants in 44 states lives in California and said, if they do this... I guarantee you, I will never build another restaurant in California again. Why would you? Jeez. So this bill sucks. Yeah. Uh, And the International Franchise Association has set up a website. You can visit stopab257.com to learn more and tell California lawmakers to stop the California food tax. Again, that's stopab257.com. And, and really, that that's got to go. It's yeah, unbelievable. Got to get involved here. Uh, so, in in better news, uh, we've got more monkey news. Yeah, and and and, and we know that uh, uh, this was specifically found by McDaniel because he always tries to cut any monkey news from the headlines because he's like, it's always sad. It's like the monkey in the cartel yeah. who was wearing the build a bear bulletproof vest got killed. And he was like, that's sad. But finally, some good news. We have good monkey news. Monkey calls nine one one from cell phone. <laughs> Sending deputies to California Zoo. This is from, <laughs> from NBC News. Getting pretty bad in California. <laughs> this, is, this is great. I love this line. Cops usually have a prime suspect. In this case, 
it's a prime mate suspect. I love Get that. Oh, See man. what they did there? Dude, shout out to that NBC reporter auditioning for the New York Post. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, the sheriff's office believes it was a little capuchin monkey that called 911 for the zoo Saturday night. Capuchin monkey's the monkey from Outbreak. Is it? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, the call disconnected and dispatchers tried to call and text back, but there was no response. So deputies were sent to investigate, the office said in a social media post. The address turned out to be the zoo to you near Paslo Robles. Mm. But the deputies found that no one was there made the call. Huh. Interesting. You know, you know, here's the thing is uh, that says a lot. If monkeys are now able to dial 911, like what's the thing? If it's like I've been kidnapped. All right. Well, if you're smart enough to dial 911. Well, you got a bit of a case there. (laughs) Honestly, you guys set this up as good news. This is troubling because you have now have monkeys overrunning Japan. Yeah. And now in California, you have monkeys testing our social fabric. They're testing the systems. Well, maybe this is like the monkey tried to swat the zoo. Well, no, no. You know what I think it is? I, I think there's maybe some shenanigans going on at the zoo, and this this monkey's a whistleblower. It says here, they finally deduced that a capuchin monkey named Route had apparently picked up the zoo's cell phone, which was in a golf cart used to move <laughs> about the property. So the monkey's in the golf cart to begin with. I think that's yeah. the story. <laughs> like, Number one, if, if imagine going to the zoo and there's just like a golf cart rolling around with a monkey having a great time on the phone. And the, zoo, <laughs> and, and, and the zookeepers behind bars. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we've got. That's what we're headed for. Dude, if, but if monkeys can answer phones, I'm not, I'm not going to have to sidebar the 15 spam calls I get every day. I don't know about you guys. Those are getting really annoying. Yeah, they're really getting out of control. If we could just train a monkey to pick up the phone and waste that person's time, I'd be all for it. Amazing. <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, so we've got a, I think a pretty important story to get to here. Um, there's been a lot of news, um, about basically these comments that Senate, um, Republican leader Mitch McConnell made about the Senate and our, you know, likelihood of flipping it, yada, yada, yada about, you know, quality of candidates. And it's caused kind of an uprising on the right. Um, uh, it's from the Washington Examiner. The title here is Conservatives Rail Against McConnell's Senate Skepticism and Amid Trump Feud. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's concession that Republicans might not retake the Senate in this year's midterm elections anger conservatives, who saw it as another front in the senior lawmaker's simmering feud with former President Donald Trump. Thoughts? I mean, this is like the last thing that we need. Like, I, why would I don't want any skepticism? What I need is it needs to be all hands on deck. I, our, our, our Senate candidate slate is awesome i love it i i love uh in arizona we've got blake we've got jd in ohio the polling that just came out on jd so tim ryan uh who's basically becoming like the beto o'rourke uh senate candidate in ohio is convincing all these libs to send him money thinking he can beat jd has been just spending millions millions all summer bombing jd and then the poll comes out today and jd's up by five I mean, our candidates are strong. We got Herschel in Georgia. I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, Fetterman, who in in Pennsylvania, I, I mean, Fetterman can't even have a conversation with a person live. Like as a lieutenant governor, he's refused to take his medication. The guy has had met, like numerous health problems. He's like on the verge of God knows what. You know, barely has a pulse. Uh, has the press covering for him while he gets a, a house from his sister for one dollar. 
uh, has been on his uh, 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 an allowance from his father for like 50 right. years. Right. I think our Senate candidates are in a great position to win. So I don't know where the skepticism comes from. So let me I just let me, let me just read the statement real quick, and then hopefully that'll sort of set the table. This is what Mitch McConnell said. I think there's probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Is that like a slight slight to like the candidate quality that we have? Because I, I, I'm I will take our candidate quality. I mean, there's, I'm, there's, I'm, there's, I'm there's, biased. Here's what I'll say. Here's, I love this. Here's problem. what I'll say about. It. Here's what I'll say about it. The press ahead of an election will do absolutely anything it can to divide Republicans. And so, anytime a, uh, the press is writing about Republicans in the week, in the weeks before, the months before the election, their objective is to divide us. Mm-hmm. Let's look at what Mitch McConnell and his affiliated Super PAC have done. SLF is going to contribute $180 million this cycle for Senate candidates. Sounds to me like SLF believes that Republicans can win the majority, including J.D. Vance in Ohio. Great candidate who they just invested like $28 million in last week. So I think that the press well, is going to do absolutely everything I they can to divide didn't us. did Mitch pull some money? Wasn't Mitch pulling money from races? What? No. no, no. He he gave <laughs> SLF gave twenty eight million dollars to JD Vance in Ohio. I mean, that's how is that pulling money? I mean, so, it's the absolute opposite. But I think what we've got here is Smug has been reading the newspaper too much. He's been listening to the liberal right. media, and therefore he thinks Republicans should be divided going into the election. No, no, the Republicans no. I saw, I saw should reports not be about money getting moved. What was that? Um, the, the money, the money, the, the twenty-eight million dollars going into Ohio is what okay. is probably what you saw. So, I think. I mean, I'm biased. Obviously, I've worked for Mitch McConnell, but um, it seems like kind of a boy. I mean, what's wrong about that? What's wrong about that statement? I mean, it's obviously true that candidate quality matters, yeah. and it's obviously true. I mean, like we said this from the beginning, it's harder to flip the Senate than it is to flip the House because they're not. They're, they're independent variables. I mean, look at what happened in 2018. We lost a wave election in the House. We gained seats in the Senate. Those things are not the same. But this is my point. The guy, the guy offers four clauses, and the press turns it into 17 stories about how Republicans are divided. Well, I mean, my, mm. they're my, not they're not writing right. about inflation. Right. They're not writing about how mm. Democrats aren't doing shit to fix inflation because they know their favored party is on defense on the most important issue in front of voters right. this fall. My 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 problem with it is that you've got this sort of like strain of conservatives online who always take the bait on this shit to say like Mitch McConnell's betraying conservatives. And if you want to have a problem with Mitch McConnell about the infrastructure bill or a gun bill, whatever, fine, fine. Have, but the idea that Mitch McConnell is leaving people bleeding in the streets and not offering him a you're, hand, he's, I mean, like he said, he's reserving like $200 million. Unfortunately, you're always going to have Republicans who take the bait. Right. You're always going to have Republicans who do what the press wants, which is fight each other when we're on the verge of taking the majority. Right. right. And, and that's what we're seeing here. Well, and here's the other thing is, is, you know, some of those folks in the conservative influencer world talk about how I mean this I saw this conspiracy on Twitter that Mitch McConnell was going to try to lose the Senate on purpose to because he was mad at Trump for endorsing Senate candidates. 
So I think which that, which seems like patently fucking absurd for a guy who's going to spend two hundred million dollars, what to lose on purpose? So to me, that seems fucking ridiculous because, like, on a very simple thing, is it, to me, it strikes to me that nothing matters more to Mitch McConnell than having the majority. Right. I think what happened with the Supreme Court is a prime example. Yes. Like in his heart, all, the dude wants the majority more than anything. So I don't buy into any kind of a theory that he would purposely try to tank it because it's like, why would the dude, if if, if you believe in nothing else? Why would Mitch sabotage himself and his ability to call the shots? <laughs> he just loves it's, being minority leader. It's, it, yeah. I mean, it's patently I mean, absurd. It's, but it's, that's the thing is that, that doesn't make sense. Even if, you, if you're like he wants to be in a position to be able to complain, I don't think anyone would prefer being in a position to complain over being in a position to just steamroll judges. Like, in, like stuff more judges down the throats of the left the way he did when he had the majority. But it, 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 it's, it's just insanity, and it just goes to show you the kind of mental gymnastics the press is willing to entertain just to have Republican conflict. It's all they want because, frankly, it's all Democrats have. It's literally the only thread they can hold on to over the next 60 days that will give them any kind of hope because they are up Shit's Creek. Right. They have they have created the worst economy that we've seen mm-hmm. in who knows how long. Mm-hmm. We, ta- we opened this show by talking about prices going through the roof and the only thing democrats have to offer is 30 percent off solar panels and i mean i mean that's the thing is that like if at the end of the day if you look at the facts and i think jd's is a great example is uh for all this consternation and like this weekend like the only times when i rarely would check in and see what's going on i try not to be affected by any news or any media on the weekend that's my time but anytime i check in it was like some story about like oh republicans are fighting then today the poll drops and JD's up by five. Right, right. Like because over what? Like why is everyone flipping out? Because that's reality. Reality is Republicans are on offense. Reality is Republicans can win. And there's another new SLF has another new ad coming out in Pennsylvania. May, might already be out, but it's squarely on Fetterman and about how Fetterman is soft on crime. Fetterman wants to let the criminals out of prisons. It's 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 literally the guy's philosophy. It's what happened when he was mayor of Braddock and crime shot through the roof. He wants to do the same thing across the country. So that's why SLF is, is hitting him on that. So I think what Republicans need to focus on is the objective, which is defeating Democrats this fall. And I think, you know, what this does strike me as is I, I think the Oz-Fetterman race is a really good example and something really to focus on the dynamic in the sense that uh, journos have ro- really clung to this narrative of like, Hey, Fetterman is this like everyman kind of guy. Like, hey, we can relate to this guy, and and uh, he he seems like you know our kind of you know one of us. He's like a normal guy. When this is, I mean, like, who the hell has bought a house for one dollar? Who's been on their father's uh, uh, you know dole for fifty years? I would love to find out if his if Fetterman's parents claimed him as a dependent. I mean, it's a great question. It's It's a great question because you know who can't claim him as a dependent? The state of Pennsylvania. The guy's calendar has been more clear than anybody else's you've ever met. Connor Lamb hit him on this in the primary. His calendar has been clear after the primary. We all know why. He's not capable of being lieutenant governor. If you're not capable of being the lieutenant governor, if you're not capable of buying your own apartment, if you're not capable of funding yourself as a 50-year-old, you're not capable of carrying the voice of people, the people of Pennsylvania to the United States Senate. Uh, so <clears throat> just to put a button on this segment on the McConnell comments or whatever, I ultimately none of this matters to a single voter in any of these states, like at all. Like none of I, it. I, I think engaging in this conversation and 
you know, all this conspiracy theory bullshit is a complete, very online distraction that mm-hmm. not a single voter cares about. And so I think every, to your point you were making earlier, Smug, it's like we should be talking about all the bullshit that these Democrats are right. trying to do about right. inflation, about how terrible all these candidates are. I mean, the easiest way to stop a red wave is for Republicans to fight amongst themselves. And I think that's right. probably, that's that's the tact the left has. That's their only card because right. on policy, they're getting creamed. The economy on their watch has gone to hell. Everything they touch is is complete shit. So they are like the only option we have is to divide the right. And and in this environment where we can have a red wave if all of us, you know, roll up our sleeves, get in there and kick some ass, because this can be a, a mammoth red wave. Smug, it's like you always say, the red wave is not something that's happening. It's something we're doing. And you take your eye off the ball. You're not doing it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, that's it right there. Perfect. So we got to get back to good news because we have we have some great news mm-hmm. uh, obviously we're a little late to the game here but it was announced late last week that brian stelter will depart cnn as it cancels reliable sources media show <laughs> the potato is baked the potato <laughs> split open at the top roasted and like i i saw all these like um I, was it sunday sunday might have been his like last day yeah and there are all these clips that i mean conservatives were like just clowning him for from his like last episode and he was like you know i hope that all the journalism students can continue to be inspired by me i know so many of you chose the field because of me and i'm like holy shit like i don't know what's more shocking him thinking that or that brian stelter is 35 years old and looks like that like <laughs> i can't believe this guy like on your way out you're really gonna go out like that the fact that like even cnn was like actually you're really trash your ratings are garbage you're a terrible human being. You got to go. And he's like, I, I, I want to thank myself for inspiring journalism students. I saw his like sign off thing. He didn't want to say like, you know, thank you to my staff, the cameraman, everybody for their show. I'm sorry I suck ass and you're all out of a job. You know, that'd be the honorable thing for him to do. But the fact that he was like, <laughs> I want to continue to inspire journalism <laughs> students is like, holy shit, dude. Like, really? You haven't done journalism a day in your life. Right, right. Well, I mean... Spokesman for the left. For for those of you who've never watched it, and I don't blame you if you haven't, but Reliable Sources was really just the super PAC arm of CNN Mm -hmm. that was used to protect... CNN hosts mm-hmm. from criticism of other me- from other media outlets. Yeah, like he was protecting Fredo. He was protecting right. uh, Cuomo's brother when right. all that was going down. Unbelievable. Um, additionally, uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Tubin uh, is wow. uh, is leaving CNN. Uh, McDaniel put it in here as Tubin finally got the release he was looking for. My God, <laughs> which is <laughs> uh, uh, McDaniel also made I think. I think this, okay, disclaimer up top, uh, if you're listening to this in the car with kids, uh, this one's probably not. <laughs> just hit that Just hit that forward 15 button. Hit that forward 15 button, uh, but McDaniel's created a, uh, a parody release here. I think it's only appropriate uh, that John Ashbrook. Oh. In the dulcet tone. I think John Ashbrook has to read this. Can you read that for us? Just remember the forward 15 button, please. <laughs> <clears throat> After beating off concerns from co-workers last year, <laughs> CNN decided to release one of its biggest jerks, Jeffrey Tubin. Tubin, with the stroke of a pen, is no longer paid to crank out bad legal takes for the network. Oh, my God. Oh, Daniel. <laughs> the discharge is part of new CEO's Chris Lick's plan to reduce the turgid left-wing staff at CNN, which over the past few years has become engorged with more and more contributors. 
It's unclear whether CNN finished Tubin in a meeting with Jan- <laughs> Junior Executive or whether Tubin got licked himself. <laughs> Either way, they didn't have to give him a helping hand. And Tubin is going to be coming on. Isn't going to be coming on CNN anymore. What a relief! Jesus. I mean, that's a poet. Amazing work, McDaniel. Amazing. And, Amazing. And, and, and the context for that, so, so for folks who don't know what is exactly going on, is, is CNN has been taken over by uh, Discovery. That, that, the, the Discovery Warner Brothers kind of conglomerate has taken over. And this guy, Chris Licht, he's the new uh, CNN chief, uh, has basically made it known that, I mean, he's got a hell of a job ahead of him. He said what he wants to do is, is basically return CNN to an air of respectability when they were like, you know, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the the, the first Persian Gulf-Iraq yeah. war no, when, like, you had Wolf Blitzer out there and Scud missiles are flying over his head and you're like, oh, shit, you know, real, real news. Yeah. Uh, you know, which you absolutely do not see on CNN anymore. But Chris Licht has said his mission is to return CNN to that glory of, like, it doesn't matter if you're a conservative, it doesn't matter if you're a liberal you tune on, you know, you turn on CNN and it's going to be like a very fact-based situation. I mean, that's an admirable goal. And I, I truly believe there's an audience for that. And I really wish him the best. And, and the fact that like he starts by being like, Tubin, get the fuck out. Uh, Stelter, get the fuck out. And apparently like the word is going out. This is from like sources inside CNN uh, that there's going to be a lot more heads to roll. They've mentioned like a number of high profile CNN personalities uh, that could be on the chopping block. Wow. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think if he is able to pull this off, there's a huge audience out there who is hungry for actual information from mm-hmm. their source of news. And they, they've got their work cut out for them because CNN's name is just dog shit with people on our side. What's the name of that guy who has a show on CNN? The He, he thinks he's like very unbiased, impartial, but he used to be a Dem communicator. Uh, is it Jake? Tapper. Tapper. The guy who always shows up in your DMs crying if you ever, like, see him in his trash. <laughs> You'll get a DM from Tapper crying about this shit. Apparently his name was on the list of possibly getting cut, too, so. I mean, he, look, I, I think, you know, Don Lemon. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, Ugh. just the ratings alone. It was like Tucker's 1 a.m. rerun gets better ratings than, than Don Lemon's primetime show. Gotta look, get him out. It, it's, it's not hard. It really is not hard to provide people information in an unbiased way. I mean, we do it every day. You you, <laughs> you right. literally you literally can do it, and if they did, it would be such a breath of fresh air that that I think they'd find a lot a Huge. lot more people will be interested than they think. So, um, well, fellas, I think we should get to this interview. It's a great interview. Uh, she's running in Indiana's first congressional district, Jennifer Ruth Green. I want to welcome to the program Jennifer Ruth Green. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me, Duncan. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're running in Indiana's first congressional district. Uh, and as yes. somebody as somebody who, who lived in Indiana for a long, long time, this is very exciting. Very exciting, you know. Um, we haven't competed as well in the first congressional district for a while, for a long time. Uh, so <laughs> well, we've... Um... Yeah, go ahead. We've, we've definitely had some some candidates who wanted to make great progress and do well here. So I don't doubt that we're the first who uh, want to come in and see some significant change and see some real representation. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really blessed to have an amazing team who has rallied around and exercises extreme ownership. And so they own their roles and their sole goal is to make sure that I can do what only I can do 
And uh, that helps me to focus. And everybody is just putting in full strength um, to go full speed ahead. We're all very excited. Well, a lot of people are talking about this campaign. You know, I, I noticed uh, in Q2, you significantly outraised your opponent uh, with chats off to you. We're not doing that everywhere across the country. So that's really said <laughs> when you're running against, you know, an incumbent. So um, well, you know, you're clearly inspiring a lot of people. Well, thank you. Uh, no, it's just, you know, the, the, the exciting part is that the average donation size is $78. And so that to me shows that, you know, in a time of a recession, in a time of economic difficulty, people say, hey, I'm ready to help and I'm ready to pursue change. And we've got an amazing fundraiser, uh, Ms. Heather Patterson. She's taking great care of us. She's the director of all of our finances. And Liz Newman is our finance coordinator. And they and the rest of the team down the chain are consistently working hard to make sure that we're, we're ready to go. So it, that victory is definitely a shared victory. Um, we do make a lot of calls. We do spend a lot of time connecting with people, but I think, you know, one of the exciting things was, um, you know, we got a phone call from uh, a national network, Fox, they called and said, Hey, we'd love to release your numbers. And so we were able to release them, you know, prior to the mandatory file date. And, uh, that was really encouraging for us because when you put that out there, it's almost like you just throw down the gauntlet and you yeah. say, here we are. And, uh, if they had the opportunity to outraise us, then, you know, they obviously would have come back and said something, but I think it was a very respectable showing. Um, but again, a team effort led by Heather Patterson out of Indianapolis. Awesome. Well, you have a very compelling, you know, story, um, your military service, your, your nonprofit work, all of that sort of stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more, um, about, about your military service? Absolutely. Serving in the military is one of the most um, amazing opportunities that I've had. It has taught me so much about myself. It's taught me so much about other people, but ultimately it's taught me a love of country. Uh, so I'm a third generation combat vet. My Both of my grandfathers served in the military. My, my, my mother's father was army. My father's father was air force. They served in world war II. And my father served in Vietnam, and I had the opportunity to serve as a mission commander in combat, uh, specifically in Operation Iraqi Freedom. So I was doing counterintelligence, and we were trained to vet and recruit spies there. Uh, it just was an amazing time for me. I graduated from the Air Force Academy uh, as a result of um, just really knowing that I loved languages, I wanted to travel the world, and I wanted to join the military. And so I got introduced to it as a freshman in high school, the concept of the academy and uh, praise God, we worked hard, got an appointment from Congressman Doug Osi, uh, a nomination from Congressman Doug Osi at the time. And we're able to pursue that and study, you know, focus on Asia, minor in Japanese. And it just was an amazing time for me. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, we typically ask all of our guests who, who have military backgrounds, given that, you know. Um, we just uh, passed the one year anniversary of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. You mm -hmm. know, how does that impact you? What, you know, what are your thoughts about the way that we left uh, that country in light of, of your military service? You know, I, I currently serve as a lieutenant colonel uh, in the Indiana Air National Guard and serve as a commander of our communications flight there. And so uh, I've deployed and redeployed people. I've also deployed myself to combat. And it is not an easy place to make decisions. Um, and so it's very easy to be critical of the commander in chief and respectfully as a military member, I will decline from doing so. 
But uh, as a private citizen, my heart aches when I see the realities of warfare. You know, when in warfare, we've seen things that we never want other people to see. And so having to experience that and seeing that played out on live TV, that's very difficult for families, for people to understand the realities. But at the same time, you know, I will say that combat is a very difficult, you just have to make very, very difficult decisions. And so I had a classmate from the Air Force Academy who uh, was on a C-17 that we all saw on TV where we had people in the wheel wells, where had people climbing on the side of the jet to be able to, to take off. And, and that, was his, that was his jet. He was the mission commander for that particular mission. And it was rough. And people are not okay as a result of that. And we lost, uh, we lost a Hoosier there, a Marine. Um, and at the end of this month uh, will be one year of that uh, when 13 Marines were killed in action. And so Corporal Umberto Sanchez. And I just, I, I think that, that war is an ugly thing and um, thinking about it, thinking through it, decisions have to be made and they're very difficult. Um, but I grieve for the families that are associated and also for all the Americans that had to see the ugly, ugliness of war that uh, we tried to keep at bay for many, many years. Well said. Um, so, you know, you've obviously given a lot to this country in your military service, but you're also uh, involved with this nonprofit, uh, Mission Arrow. Um, can yes. you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I, I hope you can hear the smile in my voice because <laughs> it is just a, a passion and desire for me. So I started flying at the, at the uh, Air Force Academy. I actually was talking with Lieutenant Colonel Lee Archer. He was a uh, Tuskegee Airman and the first black ace. Uh, so the first person to shoot down five enemy aircraft. And we got to connect with him. He asked me three simple questions that changed the trajectory of my life. I had wanted to become an ambassador and then ultimately the secretary of state. Like I said, I was studying uh, Asia and focusing on studying Japanese. And I did this, this, this plan. But, um, you know, you go to the Air Force Academy and they, their intent is to make pilots. Uh, they make leaders, obviously, but pilots is, as Air Force leaders is their goal for for responsibilities. And so Lieutenant Colonel Lee Archer said to me three simple questions. The first was, you know, Cadet Green, what are you going to do with your Air Force career? I said, sir, I'm interested in Intel uh, because I want to be an ambassador. And he said, are you pilot qualified? And I had just found out earlier that week that I was tall enough. My sitting height was good. My eyes were going to be okay enough. And I said, yes, sir, I am. And then he said, if you don't stand on our shoulders, who will? And that was the most pressing question, you know, one of the most pressing questions I've had in my life to, to date at that time. And uh, just knowing how hard they fought for a country that didn't want them to fight for them, knowing how hard the Tuskegee Airmen, the first black pilots, as you know, um, people didn't believe they could. People didn't want to send them to combat. And then when they came back from combat, it was pre-civil rights era. And so they just had to continue to fight every single day, fight for the opportunity to fight. And that's what they did. And so they made their shoulders broad enough for everybody to stand on. And um, I took that as an example. And I said, I want to stand on their shoulders. And so that's what I did. I learned to fly and started flying with the Air Force. And then, um, you know, in 2015, I was on a missions trip to Brazil. And there were some missionaries who said, hey, we'd love your skills to be able to help us. You know, I just I hadn't flown in a long time. But then I got back into it and really felt this call from God to continue to develop and serve missionaries through aviation. So started Mission Arrow Pipeline and uh, started connecting with people as young as fifth grade and just teaching them about opportunities. We take underrepresented groups and we're largely in Hammond, Gary, East Chicago. I know you know where that those mm -hmm. are. Uh, and we work with young people to be able to share the realities of the amazing industry that is aerospace 
and also STEM at the same time. So I love to fly. I'm a certified flight instructor and uh, I have an aeronautics degree. Uh, got that uh, just last year from Liberty University because I wanted to make sure that we worked hard, uh, twice as hard actually, to, to be relevant and ready so that our young people were ready to go and they could stand as another generation on the, the, the shoulders of the Tuskegee Airmen. Wow. That's awesome. So, um, you know, we had, we had, a uh, Senator Tim Scott on, on the show recently, and, you know, he was, you know, talking a lot about the struggles of being a black conservative and, you know, you're a black conservative woman running in 2022 at a time where the Democrats want to put, you know, Latino Americans and black Americans in these very specific boxes and sure. say, you know, this is how black people think. This is how Hispanic voters think. I'm curious, you know, running for Congress, you know, as a black woman and a Republican, you know, how, what do you see when when you see, when you see Democrats uh, talking about things like CRT, for example? You know, how does that how does that resonate in the black community? You know, how, how have you addressed that on the campaign trail? I'm curious. No, absolutely. So I think there's a lot kind of embedded in that question. Um, but let me first say that I respect Senator Scott. I respect his boldness and I respect uh, that he uh, chooses to continue to be a voice. Um, and uh, he, he doesn't back down from the realities of his experiences and uh, his beliefs and values. So I respect that about him. Um, I believe that in our society today, we have extremes on both sides and labeled as parties. Um, uh, extreme Republicans, extreme Democrats who have the microphone and they provide this this overview, whether it's socialism or whether it's just, you know, just far extreme conservatism that that doesn't resonate. But I believe the majority of America rests in this this safe middle where we want the same goals, but we struggle with the objectives. And so I think the far left is what I want to talk about today and address. You know, I I have some Democrat friends who have some great ideas who encourage me to think and actually help me to understand far more about uh, some instances because we're able to have an honest conversation away from the extremes. And so they've been very helpful. But I want to talk about extreme Democrats for a second. And so the, the idea of critical race theory that is intended to push um, towards our youth, it's, it's, you know, the center wants to say, let's talk about the facts and the history of our country and the fact that slavery was a very real thing and really did have a per per paralyzing effect on the African-American community. That's real. We are not all we ought to be, but we are miles away from where we were. And so I'm, I'm excited for that progress and I'm ready to continue to grow. And so I would not have the opportunity to be a pilot, a Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force, an Air Force Academy graduate, you know, I would not have that opportunity if there weren't people before me that continued to take those risks and to pave the way for people. And so their paving of the way was due to their hard work and their willingness to press forward. And so what critical race theory does in and of itself, it is the idea that that every system is inherently racist. And so because of that, it, it provides and lends itself to this thought process that the only way anybody can get ahead, if you, you are either the victim or the victor, and if you are the victim, the only way you can get ahead is if somebody reaches out and lets you have these opportunities. And you know, when I was working hard in high school to earn my nomination, to earn my appointment to the academy, it, nothing was handed to you. 
And in combat, they don't care if you're black or white or brown, or they don't care. They don't care anything about anything other than your competence. And so as a lieutenant colonel or as a mission commander in combat, it was relevant that we had good ideas on the field. And so I didn't care where they came from. And I think that that mentality is something that, you know, I refuse to buy into the fact that I just had the, the opportunity, even though I was so oppressed to just continue to move forward because someone gave me something. And so granted, there are people that went ahead of me and allowed me to fall on their shoulders. And that's great. But I think there has to be some sense of victoriousness, victory that comes in your mind where you say, you know what, I'm not going to be subjected to the thought that I'm always left behind because it paralyzes people. And so I don't want my kids to learn that. I don't want kids to learn that, period. I want to encourage entrepreneurship. I want people to stand up and do what's right. I do believe in safety nets and how we execute that is an entirely different discussion. I think we should take care of the poor and the needy. But um, I do believe that as, as we look at race, we cannot view people as a monolith and say, oh, all black people, just nobody can get ahead unless somebody gives them something and we have to sit back and wait until we receive it. I think we just have to be bold about taking, about owning, about, about earning opportunities because there are so many out there. And uh, I just refuse to believe that CRT is relevant and valid. And uh, I present myself as Exhibit A. Amen. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it just always struck me as such a self-defeating ideology. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. And, you know, the way you sort of encapsulated it there with, you know, victim or, or victor. I think is uh, is really great. Um, well, we're hoping you're the victor this November. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. This district, uh, I think, is in the Cook Political Index is like a D plus three now. You know, so it's three or four. Uh, so it's right there in in you know the heart of 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 the map. Um, Absolutely. But your your opponent, and I think I checked this on on five thirty eight's forecast or or whatever. You know, has voted uh, with Joe Biden 100 percent of the time, um, just voted uh, for this, um, you know, climate and tax bill that's going to raise taxes, do nothing to impact inflation. Um, you know, what do you what do you think of that? Number one, number two, do sure. voters understand, you know, how they have basically pulled the wool over our eyes with this whole thing? Sure. And, you know, first of all, I do want to say that I respect anybody who's going to put their name on the ballot. And Congressman Mervan has faithfully served Northwest Indiana 15 years as a trustee. And now he put his name on the line and is living the responsibility as a congressman. But when I talk about those far left ideas and far left Democrats, socialist ideologies, that's the camp that he falls in. And so while he is a good man, I just want to make sure I represent the people. And I believe he's lost touch. You know, he represents President Biden in Northwest Indiana, and I want to represent the region in Washington, D.C. And those two things are very different. And so when it comes down to it, we look at what is misleadingly called the Inflation Reduction Act. And we talk about how there are so many pieces of that legislation that are devastating to people that sit in the first district. There's no way that spending three quarters of a trillion dollars in a recession is going to drive down inflation. <laughs> it's just there's insane. no way. Right, right, right. And so built into this bill is the fact that billions of dollars have to be recouped from the citizenry. And that's why we have the obligation to increase the IRS numbers. And so overall, there's so many staggering things in this bill that get conflated 
And in all actuality, there's just this clear loss of, of vision for the local community. And so it lets billionaires off the hook. It decreases taxes for the rich. And, and that's a struggle for me because in our district, we are just really working class people, working class people who work in the steel industry. We have farmers, we have everyday people that just want to get up, go to work and do well. But this is a, a staggering blow to the middle class. And so I think that those kinds of things and, and seeing this, you know, seeing the bill in and of itself is insulting because it's misled. The name is misleading. But then thinking through the fact that our congressman wants to tout it as a great benefit to the region, that's insulting. And so I just want to be able to say that Hoosiers deserve better. And it's going to be my job and my goal to help Hoosiers get what they deserve, which is far better treatment and greater respect. Yes. Amen. Um, so three questions. We always end th these interviews with three questions. Sure. Um, you know, they really tell you a lot about a person. I think they're pretty <laughs> tough. Um, the first, first question is your last meal on earth. You know, if you could plan it, what would it be? Oh, super easy. I'm having tacos al pastor for sure. So I give me some pork tacos loaded up with everything but onions Last meal would be the best meal I've ever had, guaranteed. Okay, so so is that homemade or is that from anywhere in particular? El Rey del Taco. Uh, it's in Hammond on Calumet. Uh, it's amazing. 10 out of 10, definitely recommend. And the chef there, she makes the best pork tacos I've ever had in my life. Nice, nice. Um, so second question, um, if you could do anything, you know, and you and you you weren't in the military and you weren't running for Congress, what would you do with your life? And you can blue sky this however you would like, you know, your craziest dream job, what would it be? I would love to be a CIA officer if I had the chance. I think it would be just amazing, but, uh, but I'm happy where we are for sure. Nice. Uh, so the final question here is, you know, what, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat thrill of victory being, you know, a, a optimist, a person who looks at, the, at life sort of glass half full. Um, the thrill of winning is what really motivates you as a person, or then you got the agony of defeat. And these are people who wear every one of their defeats or setbacks as sort of a backpack that they carry around and it motivates them to never lose again. Sure. Which camp are you in? Uh, you know, I'm I'm agony of defeat camp. I, <laughs> but I think it has to do less with pessimism and more with the fact that you know you talked about our second quarter fundraising numbers and people have given sacrificially, and that's very real to me. And so I, my time is a function of their investment and they invested early in the campaign and we were able to bring our message strong in the primary. And now here we are wanting to bring our message again. And these people are giving during difficult times. I just don't want to blow it on their behalf. Yeah. So you don't want to let them down. Work hard. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I feel like I'm responsible and I don't carry this big burden and this big weight on my shoulders. But in reality, I realize that they are carrying me and uh, we're excited, ready to go follow as the Lord leads. Awesome. Well, you know, we're we're really excited too, and we're rooting for you. Before I let Thank you me. go, um, if people want to help your campaign, where do they go? Absolutely. Thank you. Jennifer RuthGreen.com. Uh, that's our website. You can find all of our relevant information there. And uh, would love to have anybody join us in any capacity. We need manpower, media, materials, and money 
if you want to be involved in any of those, we're happy to help. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer Ruth Green, for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it, Duncan. Man, what a great candidate she is. She's great. She's inspiring. Um, you know, she's out raising her opponent, you know, which I mean, that's really hard for Republicans to be doing right now. Uh, she got a great story, uh, you know, military service, nonprofit work, um, you know, a black conservative woman, uh, I think, with a really inspiring, positive message. And like, look, if we're going to have a majority here uh, after November, which, you know, we all believe we are, mm-hmm. uh, we got to win districts like this. So, you know, I hope people volunteer, think, donate. I mean, that's a great candidate. I really think that's the I mean, you D3 to me feels like nothing in right. this environment where, I mean, number one, it's a midterm. Number two, the Dems are responsible for all the chaos, the mayhem, the suffering of the American people right now. It's squarely on them. I think that's doable, man. And we keep getting great candidates like that. Yeah. That's a red wave. Well, I think we did it, fellas. I think we did it. Outstanding work, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our guests. And thank you so much to our listeners. Absolute banger of a show, gentlemen. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.